Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We're going to go way back here. I want you to picture it's 1893. So the clothes you're wearing right now are probably offensive. It's a World's Fair in Chicago. And it's celebrating the 400th year of Christopher Columbus's arrival to the New World in 1492. The World Fair sees over 27 million people who attend this over a six-month period. And of those millions who have attended is a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody, among these features that were there in this World Fair was the World Parliament of Religion, in which representatives from all over the world got to share about their beliefs, their best points about their religions, their beliefs, and even if possible, start a new religion by combining them all. Now, D.L. Moody saw this as an incredible moment to share about the good news of Jesus. So he stationed evangelists throughout the entire city. We saw that they rented out theaters, they rented out churches, and even a circus tent to share the gospel. Other Christians that were talking to D.L. Moody, other leaders, were asking him to hit hard on theology, hit hard on doctrine, hit hard on all these different things. But D.L. Moody said, no, the simple thing we need to do right now is just preach about Jesus. Preach about who Jesus is. That'll be more than enough. And historically speaking, it was. D.L. Moody and his team spoke to over 3 million people in a span of six months. They had services in a week that would be upwards of 150,000 people in attendance. And this resulted in over thousands and thousands and thousands of people putting their trust in Jesus and changing the trajectory of their lives forever. D.L. Moody and his friends didn't overcomplicate the good news with facts, with stories, with big words. They didn't debate. They didn't even water down the gospel. Instead, they simply shared what and who Jesus is. You know, I think truth be told, we probably invest more energy trying to figure out how to introduce people to church and programs rather than introducing them to Jesus. For many of us in the room, we know that we're called to tell people about Jesus, but it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating to share what you believe or somewhat what you understand, especially when the the mindset in society is, you do you, I'll do me. 
We don't want to interfere. We don't want to uh, offend. We don't want to inconvenience anyone. And especially if our neighbor asks us, they want to go back again. In many ways, we become tolerant in everything. But when you're tolerant in everything, it negatively affects everyone. No one wins. We stumble over tough questions, confusing statements, denominational lines, so we don't say a thing. So what do we do with this tension? What should we do with this? Well, I think if D.L. Moody taught us anything, it would be simplify. We need to get back to the foundation of what we believe, which is Christ. Today, you and I are participating in sharing the good news of Christ. In fact, the whole thing, everything we believe is anchored on Christ. And when we focus our attention on that, then trusting in Christ changes what I believe about Christ. It changes what I believe about my calling in life because my life is now all about Him. Now, for some of you in the room or maybe your friends or your family, uh, they might hear something like this and, and think it's strange to hear that you would put your trust in Jesus. But we experience this type of change all the time on, on a smaller scale. Those of you who are in elementary school or high school, middle school, when you have a crush, you're willing to go all out so that you can spend time with them. You will go the long way to your classroom and willing to be late so that you can see them, probably not talk to them, just awkwardly stare at them from a distance. But you'll go all out. For some of you here, it's, it's your spouse. When you said yes to each other and you made that covenant and that commitment for, for one, each, one another, you made that change in your life where now my life revolves around this person and I'm actually okay with it. For those of you who have kids, you definitely know that it's a, it's a sacrifice and it's a big change. I remember holding my son for the first time and he started crying, and I literally just went, oh, yep, everything's just changed. <laughs> and that's okay. For some of you, your grandparents here. And for you, it's, it's investing in your grandchildren. It's you showing them how to live, how to love, being there for them at, at all times. For some of you, it's, it's your job. It's, it's your occupation. Trusting Christ changes everything. And that's the picture we're called to paint for people. And it's the best change you could make. And it doesn't just affect our immediate selves, but because it affects our eternal selves too. And this is the message that the Apostle Paul was trying to get across to the church in Colossae. He wanted to show them the simple truth of Jesus, who he is, what he said, and what he did so that in turn, people would put their trust in Jesus and share Christ with others. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 
15. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, or if you're taking notes, you can go there. It says in Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. And is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness, all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross." So what does this mean for you and I when we read a text like this? It means that it's really important that we know who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Well, let's look back again at 15. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John 1.8 says that no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is God. Jesus is literally God in the flesh, the image of God. If you're taking notes or if you're putting this on your phone, the Greek word for image is icon, which is where we get the English word icon. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just learn something new today? Okay. Be with God. Okay. An icon is an image or a portrait. Jesus is literally the portrait of God. The word icon is also not just used to refer to an image or a portrait, but actually a revelation. It's a revelation of God's character, meaning that Jesus shows us what God is like. So when you hear about stories about Jesus and you're like, man, Sounds like he was a good person. That's God. That is what God is like. We see the character of God through Jesus. Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. Jesus is God, which is crazy to think. I, I remember once I was talking to my brother on the, flo- uh, the phone. He's in, he lives in Florida. Life is tough. Um, and he was, he was tucking his son to bed, and they always do their prayers at night. And he's tucking his son in, and he gets his son, who at the time was about five years old, to pray. And my nephew starts off the prayer by saying, Jesus is God. And my, my brother heard that and was shocked He was thinking to himself, I've never told him that. I've never taught him that. Jesus is God. And yet this five-year-old made this connection. Me personally, uh, I've got an eight-month-old. And so while I pray for him, he's still plucking at my eyeballs. So it's a little bit different. But I believe we're going to get there in in Jesus' name. Um, But it tells us, this tells us about who he is but it also tells us about ourselves. Because the Bible says that each one of you in here, 
Each one of you was created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. Christ's character, how we read about Jesus, is how we should act too. For those of you who are in a position of leadership, or you're a a parent, you're a teacher, you're a person of influence, you're serving maybe in the church here, you understand that, right? How you act and respond, right? You should expect and, and hopefully see that lived out in your children or your students, right? We see them mirror that. So if ever you see your kids acting out, one question you should ask is, is that me, right? It's like that stubborn man who says, I can't believe my son. He's not listening to me. And then the wife speaks up and says, well, honey, and the man says, stop. I'm not listening to this, right? Like how we should live is what the Bible teaches us, right? When we see how Jesus responds, that's how we should respond, and he's responding out of love. We should respond out of love. He's, he's encouraging. We should be encouraging. He's helpful and serving. All these things that we hear about and we think are incredible, that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. And we need to be mi- mimicking that. You know, I always wonder, um, people will ask the question from time to time, uh, who would you want to meet in person? What famous person would you want to meet? Anyone have any favorites? Anyone have any favorites that you would want to meet? Do I have any Elvises here? Will someone want to meet Elvis? Anyone want to meet like Kanye? Do we have a Kanye fan? Michael Jordan? Do we have? No? Okay. Uh, Do we have? Jeez, you people. Okay. (laughs) Clearly, you don't want to meet anyone. Okay. I'm just joking. Erase that from the the editing. me personally, I, I've, I've had the opportunity to actually meet a lot of um, uh, TV stars. I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of rock stars and musicians, actually, um, getting backstage to concerts and, and having conversations with them. I've even had opportunities to uh, sit down with uh, famous sports players. And, and uh, I tell you, as great as they are, I, I honestly think if there was one person I wanted to talk the most to, it would be Jesus. How one person could make such a difference. And just the knowledge, the knowledge that he is God. I would have tons of questions for him. And I know he would do his Jesus thing and answer my question with a question, right? Um, but I would love to meet him and ask him that. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's God. The Bible also says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he's the first in rank and honor. Why? Why? Because he's creator. Because he created us. He created us. It says that everything was created through him, and for him. Everything was created through him and for him. So Jesus is the agent of creation. From him, everything visible, such as the stars in the sky to the seas and the oceans and the animals in the seas, come from him. He created those, all those things. 
and even including the invisible things like angels. Yes, I believe in angels. Um, have I been touched by an angel? Like that old TV show that most of you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind then. But he made those invisible things too. But check this out. Did you know that to date, astronomers have found over 2 billion galaxies? Through the Hubble telescope and through other telescopes, they have found over 200 billion galaxies and actually have discovered that the, the Earth is expanding. So this is crazy to think about because what this means is that God's four words at the beginning in Genesis, let there be light, is still bringing light and creating new galaxies. That echo that you hear when we yell out in, in, in a hallway, that echo that God said, let there be light, is still creating. It hasn't stopped. And so astronomers and scientists are constantly finding new galaxies as a result. And guess what? Christ is at the center of it all. So we are alive because of him, and we are made for him. So Christ is the goal. Everything begins and ends with him. Some actually translate the word here when it, when it says that we are uh, created uh, from him, or we are made for him. The word for, uh, some would translate actually towards. That we are created by him and toward him. So if Christ is the end goal, then if whatever I believe my purpose and my calling is in life is absent of him, I will never fully feel fulfilled. There will continue to be something missing in my life because my purpose is tied to him and toward him. You know, maybe you're here today and something is still missing. Something is missing. I can tell you what it is. That missing void is something only Jesus can fill. Because you are alive because of him, and you were made for him. And the word says that in him all things hold together. Think about it like this. Currently in the earth, the, the, the earth is spinning on its axis, or axis about a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. A NASCAR goes about 200, Okay. So the, the Earth's axis is spinning 1,000 miles an hour, going through space at a speed of approximately 67,000 miles an hour, and will travel over a 1.6 uh, miles in a day. And we're not even feeling a thing. The most I felt this morning is a tiny draft through my receding hairline. But legitimately, like, have you ever thought about that? Like, that's what's going on right now as we speak. Kids, if your parents ever tell you that you're doing nothing, you are doing something. You are traveling 67,000 miles over 1.6 million miles in a day. 
you are busy, and you let them know that when they ask you to do chores, okay? You are busy. <laughs> but check this out. If the, if the earth changes at all, shifts at all, even the slightest amount, we're done for. Do you know how amazing it is that you and I are still here? We're still here. This isn't luck. This isn't chance. This is Christ holding all things together. He literally prevents us from disintegrating, combusting, becoming nothing. This means that literally none of us are independent from God in this life, even to the atheist. Christ is even sustaining those who don't believe in him, those who are angry with him, or those uh, who, who, thinks that, who think that how he operates or, or how he responds in a certain, certain circumstance isn't what he ought to do. He still sustains them. And he does this because he absolutely loves you. If there's one thing to walk away from this, is you are absolutely loved. You are not unlovable. You've got a creator, you've got a God, who is Jesus, who absolutely loves you. And that's why you're still here. That's why... This earth is still moving and thriving and because he loves you. You may think God's not working in your life right now, but he's actually more involved in sustaining you more than you can ever think or imagine. He sees your desires, your frustrations, your hurt. And since he sustains life, he also knows the best fix and order for your life too. If we would just believe in him and put our trust in him, you would experience the difference. This is who Jesus is. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a place. I'm not talking about a, a belief I'm talking about a person right now who created the heavens and the earth, who sustains it, and is absolutely in love with you. And it's not just about who he is that makes us put our trust in him, but it's actually, it's actually the declarations that he's made. Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Meaning the totality of divine power and attributes of God are in Christ. You don't need anything else. Christ is all you need. You don't need to mix that religious belief with that other religion's practice. You don't even need testaments from the Christian bookstore. If you don't know what testaments are, go to the local Christian bookstore, and there's these little mints that say testa and then mints, okay? 
I saw these and I, was, I lifted them up to the lady and I was like, seriously? And she, looked, she looks at me and she goes, yeah, would you like some? And I'm like, only because it's smart. And so I bought some testaments. But literally, Christ is all you need. Christ is all you need. Sometimes, you know, we actually don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. That was a famous quote. Because it was about a woman who had literally lost everything during World War II. Sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. For many of you in this room, that's your story. You had to get to ground zero before you realized God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's presence in it all. Some of you, you haven't experienced that. You, you just believed, and, and that's amazing. Some of you are still asking that question, maybe because you've gone through a difficult circumstance. Let me remind you, He is there. He promised us He would, and He is the best thing to have in whatever season. Paul goes on to say that for God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I actually remember hearing a story uh, about a married couple that had divorced. Years had gone by and eventually their only son that they had together was tragically killed. One day, the ex-wife went to the cemetery to visit her son's grave. And as she got there, she noticed the man was standing there too, her ex-husband. The man looks over at her and, and sees her, and instead of awkwardly pausing or walking away, the man looks at her, And with brokenness and tears in his eyes, puts out his arm. And they hold hands and they embrace and they mourn over the loss of their son. The relationship was reconciled in death. And the same is with God and us. Because of the death of Jesus, we've been reconciled. Through Christ, God has reconciled everything to himself. And this pleases him. This pleases him. Let's just pause there. God reconciled everything. And it pleased him. We're on a mission of reconciliation. No one's too far. And this pleases God. That's who God is. He's pleased when people come and know him as Father and Lord and Savior of their life. This, this, this is incredible for him. He absolutely loves it. This is the God we have, not an angry God, not a bitter God, not a God who's tired of you, you know, maybe constantly making mistakes and, and messing up. We serve a God that is all about reconciliation, that it brings joy when we're reconciled to him.
God loves to reconcile. You know, it won't take you long when you leave this building to see that we live in a broken world. From school shootings to systemic racism, fear, greed, death. This world is broken, but there's a spark of hope because of a person. He himself is love, and his name is Jesus. His death on the cross has made a difference in the lives of millions before you and is still making a difference today through people who believe the declaration he made. One of my uh, all-time favorite bands, um, the, U- uh, the, the lead singer of U2, Bono, he once said this statement. He said, Jesus isn't letting you off the hook. The scriptures don't let you off the hook so easily. When people say, good teacher, prophet, really nice guy, this is not how Jesus thought of himself. So you're left with a challenge in that, which is either Jesus was who he said he was, or a complete and utter nutcase. You have to make a choice on that. And I believe Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus didn't come to earth just to be a good teacher, just to be a prophet or a really nice guy. He came to earth because we couldn't get ourselves out of the mess we made. And so in the mess, he brought beauty. And we see that in the evidence that substantiates his claims, what he did. Colossians 1.18 says, He, Jesus, is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. This means that he is the most important to rise from the dead because without his resurrection, there is nothing for us. It's fake news. Everything we believe about Jesus and our hope in the present and the future hangs on the fact that he died and was resurrected back to life. Without it, we've literally got nothing. This is just a nice meeting for us to gather. But check this out. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7 says, He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. No wonder Christianity grew like wildfire across the known world and still grows today. It's because people couldn't refute what they saw and we can't refute what we experience. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. More things make sense with him than without him. So what does this mean for us today? It means he must be first in everything. 
in everything in our life, in our family, in our friends, in our workplaces, He takes priority. Can you imagine if God did what we can sometimes do to Him? Maybe we haven't talked to Him in a month. What if God decided not to talk to you for a month? What if I tried to do that with my spouse? Are you kidding me? I would not be preaching up here. I'd, you would need to call someone because I'd be in trouble. God needs to take priority. So where can he take priority in your life right now? Where has he been placed second fiddle or third string? Where does he need to take center stage in your life right now? Matthew 16, 15 tells us of a moment when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he looked at them and he said, who do you say I am? And we read in scripture that Peter speaks up and he says, well, you're, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're God. So I ask you the question today, who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? We have a choice to make, and that is either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Paul doesn't share this in, in Coloss, Colossians, in this letter, so that we merely have deep convictions, but that we may have a bold confession of who he is. As a result, we need to be bold and declarative in our faith, unapologetically preaching truth and the simple message of Jesus. The early church saw their bold confessions about Jesus, and it changed nations. D.L. Moody made these bold confessions, and it changed a city. Imagine you and I, what we could do if we simply preached Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have brought everyone here united in one building. Lord, thank you for your immense love. Thank you, God, for Jesus, for all he did for us so that we could have a hope and a future. Thank you for that. Lord, help us not to overcomplicate the truth, the good news that you love us, that you've reconciled us, and that we can now spend one day eternity with you. Lord, help us to show that 
in its simplest form, in the way we speak and the way we act, the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, uh,